Hi everyone, and welcome to the Worldonomics podcast, brought to you by the UQES diversity team. I'm Marty. I'm Bronwyn. I'm Sharada. And I'm Jo. And each week we bring in a new guest to talk about the issues that matter. Hi everyone, welcome to episode three of Career Pathways. Um, Today we have Hugo, who I believe is an investment banking associate. Yeah, that's right. At HSBC, um, Hugo is a friend of my brother's. Not sure how or why, to be honest. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, not a problem. Happy, happy to provide some insight. Cognizant how difficult it can be going in from uni to the workforce, so happy to help. Yeah. Um, so usually we start with like a fun question. Yeah. Sure. So. Today, it's what is the most useless talent you have? Uh, look, the oh, <laughs> one off the top of my head is the only thing that comes to mind, which is becoming more and more useful given work, is that I can pretty much fall asleep um, anywhere within like five minutes. So. Wait, that's so good though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, not necessarily like going to school and stuff, like, I'm, at times, goes off in the back of the classroom, um, which isn't usually the best. But yeah, it's, it's getting getting much uh, getting a lot of benefit derived out of it now. Yeah, so fair. Um, <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll move on to the serious stuff. Yeah, sure. So can you tell us what degree or degrees you studied at uni? Yeah, sure. So, um, I actually started off at UQ and actually did science for a year and wow. absolutely hated it. <laughs> um, and um, just by product of um, going through churchy and being a boarder, there's a couple of people who are moving across to QUT. So I kind of made the jump um, and decided to kind of pursue business, um, both specifically kind of just doing a, a undergrad in, in finance. Um, I guess it's, it's fair to say that I enjoyed my time at uni so much so that I decided to stick around afterwards and jump straight into a postgrad. So I did a Masters of Applied Finance, um, which ultimately is much more kind of orientated to corporate finance. Um, I found that actually a lot better than the undergrad. Um, There's definitely much more kind of real world applicable in terms of yeah. the learning that you actually did. Um, so I actually really enjoyed the back end of uni. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much rounded out. So I think cool. it was like so, six years. Oh, wow. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, six yeah. years, two degrees, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So in undergrad, did you like structure your degree for a specific outcome or was it just like finance, see where it goes? To be honest, I think during undergrad, like, I wanted to do finance, um, so I kind of just pursued that. But then in terms of trying to structure it towards, I guess, a career pathway, I didn't really consider much of that. I think I was probably a little bit too focused around just enjoying the uni experience and, and trying yeah. to wrap up my degree. Um and it wasn't probably until the last six months of my undergrad that I actually started thinking about a career pathway, um, which kind of ultimately pushed me towards doing my postgrad so I could have a little bit more time to actually refine 
what I wanted to do um, going forward. In terms of how I guess I came out to kind of investment banking was a product of kind of just being around a, a lot of guys who I went to school with and ultimately who I ended up doing uni with and everyone was kind of looking down that kind of investment banking pathway. Um, and after kind of doing a little bit more research, understanding kind of what you do within the job on a day-to-day basis, I, I kind of thought that it would be kind of at least a good opportunity to, to go down um, and experience that. And it's well-received as if you do investment banking for a couple of years, you can pretty much just poke out and, and do kind of any other things that you want to explore. So I, I thought that'd be a good base case. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So correct me if I'm wrong, but so you started at HSBC? Yeah, yeah. So I started, we had a bit of a, a weird intake um, in the sense that we're a European bank, despite the name. Um, so our intake is July 2017 to date. Um, so I actually haven't finished my postgrad. I still have a semester left. And fortunately enough, I kind of got the job and decided it was worth kind of trying to finish off my postgrad while working, which meant that I dragged my postgrad out for an extra year. Um, but yes, I started in 2017 as a grad and the way it's structured is it gives you four rotations over two years um, and you get to experience different parts of the banks, uh, bank rather, um, over that two-year period. So you get a holistic kind of opportunity to learn different kinds of areas within the bank and ultimately that kind of tied in nicely with kind of what I wanted to experience given that I hadn't really rounded out what specifically I wanted to focus on. Yeah. And so could you tell us about your current role and sort of how you ended up there? Yes. So as I kind of alluded to, you do different rotations. Um, One of the rotations that I did um, is in leverage finance. So investment banking is a pretty broad kind of category, I guess you can say, for a range of different kind of advisory services. Um, that a bank provides. So the typical kind of pathway for a lot of economics, commerce students is they want to go down the M and A pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one that usually sticks out for a lot of people. Leverage finance is a unique kind of um, area that fits within the capital markets um, team and looks to service M and A. However, focuses purely on providing kind of M and A financing for private equity guys. Um, right. So I I kind of did my rotation to the team and really, really enjoyed it. The, the kind of aspects that I really enjoyed and why I kind of advise people who do have this kind of mindset to, to explore something similar um, is because whilst it's, it's highly technical um, in the sense you, you build out financial models, you do leverage buyouts, um, you're part of that exciting event-driven um, nature, I guess you can say. You also have the market side, so similar to kind of like the trading side, but a little bit less intense, where you're actually dealing with market guys, you're trying to sell stuff in the market. So you get that kind of interpersonal um, opportunity alongside the technical skill set. So it's like a, a bit of a healthier balance, I've found. Um, so that's kind of ultimately what drew me into it. And so how would you say 
I mean, you were still in uni, right, when you started your job. So how did you manage all of that? <laughs> um, it was very difficult. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, yeah, it, it was really difficult. I think I had three units left. Um, and I, I guess the thing was, because I had a job, usually you kind of discount uni to an extent. Um, yeah. So what I ended up doing was, I think I just, I dragged over for a year or a year and a half. I can't quite remember, but I think it was it was ultimately a product of having to work on uni just on weekends, um, and unfortunately, kind of flagging that and kind of managing expectations with lecturers and tutors. Um, I think I was fortunate in the sense that my last three units were ones where I think it was. I don't think there was a midterm or a final which I needed to be at, which made things a little bit easy because yeah. I guess I was in Sydney. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that worked out, that I didn't have any finals, but, yeah, it just kind of worked out well that way, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I guess the key thing is kind of management of expectations because if, particularly in postcard, a lot of people are working. Um, so tutors and lecturers are, are quite, um, quite forgiving in that sense um, and accommodating around different people's workloads. Yeah, that's true, actually, because you were doing your master's, right? So Yeah, yeah. Working as well. Um, yeah. So now could you, like, run us through what an average day looks like for you? Like, job? Yeah, sure. All that. So as I kind of pointed out to you before the call, I've just come off the transactions. So typically um, in transactions, they'll be quite intense um, in the leverage spot finance space for three, three, four weeks. So what that typically encompasses is is long days um, and working most weekends. So your typical typical day could be anywhere from call it 12 to 16, 17 hours. Um, and this is this is very much when you're like intense in a live acquisition scenario. So you obviously get the downtime afterwards. Um, so it's good that banks accommodate kind of having an opportunity to recover and kind of get um, life balance back. So during this kind of transaction, thing, so um, I'm quite fortuitous in the sense that now that I'm an associate, I kind of I kind of more take a leading role in terms of managing work workflows and, and all that jazz. So I was starting probably in the office at 7.30 in the morning, at which point I try and catch up on emails that I missed coming from London, um, Asia Pack or, or Europe overnight. Um, so kind of trying to at least um, read through those and digest those and then kind of putting together like a to-do list um, for the day. Um, you usually have a pretty clear cut idea what needs to be done. Um, so once you get that together, it could be focusing morning on kind of pulling together a financial model or pulling together a presentation pack um, or pulling together marketing material for something that's that's going live to market. Um, and then in the afternoon, typically we'll have multiple different calls because at any given time, you could be managing maybe three or four different transactions all in different stages. Um, so some could be pre-marketing, which is obviously less time intensive because there isn't a specific deadline all the way through to a live deal which you're pitching for um, or a live acquisition. 
Um, and then subsequently at the end is, is kind of the marketing side, which is uh, somewhat time intensive, but it's usually a little bit more chilled. Um, so managing all that and then kind of going through different kind of uh, calls throughout the day in terms of discussing around models um, internally with the client, discussing marketing material with the client, turning comments with internal stakeholders, that kind of jazz. And then typically, as we kind of head in towards the night, we'll have an Asia pack internal update call where the leverage finance team in Hong Kong, Singapore, India, and Australia will all jump on and kind of run through high level one of the transactions that we're all working on just to give um, our senior stakeholders in Hong Kong who kind of manage up Asia Pacific, some visibility um, in terms of what all the teams are working on and working towards and what are going to be the big kind of fee ticket events. Um, and then after that, usually grab dinner, grab dinner, try and go to the gym and then try and bang out maybe an hour or two more would work and then wrap up for the night. So it, is, it can be quite intensive, um, but it's obviously subject to the kind of deals that you're working on at the time. So that's usually like an average day. Um, as I, as I alluded to, when you're kind of on a live deal, yeah. um, it's usually anywhere from three to four weeks of, of non-stop working, um, including Sundays and Sundays. But the reality is, um, if you're in a leverage finance space, there's only maybe five or six deals that are sizable enough to kind of work activity a year. And then the rest would be, you'd usually finish, maybe start at eight or nine o'clock in the morning and finish at nine or 10 p.m. at night so it's not as bad is that allowed that's so long uh yeah i think this is a this is a thing right like um investment banking is is known for kind of this time intensity um because uh i guess you are servicing clients and particularly when you you take a step back and think about an acquisition particularly a live one um you, it's like it's like selling a house, right? Except for on auction day, everyone just rocks up and, and buys a house. Whereas usually you've got like a three or four billion dollar company, and you don't want to you want to give potential bidders an opportunity to have a look inside and and determine whether or not they actually want to buy it. But by having a tight timeline, you generate a lot of activity, I guess you can say, and build momentum around the acquisition. So. Right, of course. Ultimately, the end price is going to be more favourable, whereas if you give it time, um, you lose a lot of momentum and people kind of get a little bit stagnant um, and it cannot be, it's sometimes not favourable for the buyer after the seller, yeah. rather. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think the key difference is particularly just more broadly speaking, moving from Brisbane down to Sydney is that Sydney lifestyle is probably a little bit um, more intense on the, on the work. Um, and that's across investment banking all the way through to whether it be marketing or or law or what have you. I, I think um, the work-life balance isn't as good as what it is in, in Brisbane, where everyone seems to clock off five thirty on the dot. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say, how do you like? How do you ensure a good work-life balance? Like, do you think you have one? Yeah, like ultimately, I think I do. Um, I'm yeah. also the type of person where during the week it doesn't really phase me um, because I'd rather be doing something that's ultimately providing me an opportunity to learn or, or develop my skill set. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I look at it. In terms of during the week, how I try to manage it is just by going to gym for an hour, an hour and a half. I think 
for anyone who kind of jumps into a lifestyle where it's quite work intensive during the week, I think it's important to have an outlet, whether it be gym or going for a run or, or just whatever floats your boat. Um, yeah. And that gives you an opportunity to kind of just disconnect, right, for an yeah. hour and reset. Um, over the weekends, like usually like I won't work weekends unless it's really required. So um, by having kind of the weekend back, like I still manage to fit in a lot of stuff. Um, and to my point, I guess a little bit earlier, it, my business kind of ebbs and flows. So like I've worked probably 14 days straight um, up until today. 14 or 15 days straight. So, but now will be pretty quiet for me and my boss will give me an opportunity to kind of chill out, kind of work from home, which I'm doing today, kind of get my life back in order, get all my admin done, all that jazz, um, which you might not have had an opportunity to do over the last couple of weeks. But I think ultimately it comes down to the team environment. My boss is exceptional um, from that standpoint, in the sense that he, he really does care and make sure that everyone has a, has a good lifestyle balance and he kind of preaches that and, and leads by example, which is, which is nice to see in such a, I guess, intensive industry. Yeah. I mean, thank you for like speaking to us. You've like, been working, what, how many days straight? 14. That's correct. Yeah, 14 days straight. <laughs> That's all right. I'm on the back end now. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess my last question would be, what advice would you have for students looking to pursue a similar path as yourself? Um, maybe two points. So first, um, it's like not to be discouraged um, when you go to your application process. Um, I think I remember it was probably one of the most stressful periods I've ever had trying to get into investment banking. It's very structured in the sense where I think applications open February to the end of March and you, you get a call, like every, like all the banks do their calls on one particular day. And if you don't get a call, then you don't have an interview. And then you go, to, if you're lucky enough to get the calls, then you go to four or five rounds of different interviews at one particular bank. Um, and because it's, it's so competitive and it's only offered in Sydney and Melbourne, um, usually, the, depending on the year, it fluctuates in terms of how many grads they take in. So it could be anywhere from, I call it 20 grads in one year across Australia, all the way up to maybe 50 or 60. So there's a limited number of spots and obviously not everyone gets a job. So it can be quite discouraging, but I think the key thing is um, you've got to realise that you just got to keep driving on. And a lot of people really kind of... Um, really appreciate kind of persistence in the sense where you're not fortunate one year it's not over there's other ways to get in and you can apply next year or, or what have you um, and a lot of transferable skill sets which you can move over laterally at some point maybe further on in your career and then the second point which I think is a little bit more broad um, not IB specific is probably we have a tendency myself included once you get a job um, that you want to rush and get whatever you want to get out of your career as quick as possible. I think um, by exercising patience, a lot of people appreciate that. Um, and then now being, I guess, a couple of years older um, and um, moving past that graduate stage, yeah. it can be, you see a lot of graduates who come in who are, who are impatient um, and understand at times it means that you're, 
obviously goal orientated and you want to strive for, for excellence that um that a lot of people kind of realize after a couple of years that doing something a year or something that you don't particularly like that it's giving you a step up to the next leg or where it's well received by other internal stakeholders is, is not the end of the day particularly what we work like 40 or 50 years um yeah. one year is not make or break so by exercising patience and kind of having that poise uh, a lot of people do appreciate it yeah it sounds like solid advice especially like generally speaking the kinds of people who go into ib are very yeah i I think it's like it it can be quite like that and like i've had experience with graduates who like they do their rotations and go, ah, oh, like I want to roll off the program early and jump in and, and just dive head first. And it's like, well, yeah, like I understand why because I was exactly the same, but you also miss out on learning additional skill sets or working with different stakeholders who you might get along with um, really well and they might be able to provide some invaluable insight. Um, so you miss that opportunity. And also like if, if it's a structured program, it, it's not, necessarily perceived well by senior stakeholders um, you want to jump off early and to be quite frank if you're a if you're a CEO of a company you don't really care not saying that they don't but they don't really care about a grad being disgruntled um, yeah that's so fair. <laughs> it's better just to sit down and, and plug it out for the extra three or four months that you have left yeah well that's like solid advice i'm sure it would like resonate well with our audience thank you so much for fitting us in and coming on maybe wesley no to this episode i don't know maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah be good. thanks for listening to this week's episode we'll see you next time <laughs>